Let's open our Bibles. We're going to go to various places tonight. I'm going to read some texts of scriptures that I won't have you turn to just for the sake of time. But let's open up our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And then you can also find Joel chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, Joel chapter 3, of course, in two different places in the Bible. One New Testament, one Old Testament. But let me give you a rundown of what we're doing here. We're going to talk about the judgments of God. And tonight, I want to focus on the final judgments, plural. In other words, there are judgments that will happen at the end of the age. And I want to focus on those. But then, I want to get into the judgments that happen preceding the final judgments. In other words, the judgments that happen in our lives. Two nations, two individuals, two leaders, and such next week, and then that third week, I want to get into whether or not America has already entered into the early stages of judgment. I believe that we have, and I want to show you from the Bible, and of course, it's not going to say, thus says the Lord, America has now entered into the early stages of judgment, but I want to show you in the Bible what judgment looks like, why judgment comes, and how it plays out, and then you begin to tell me whether or not it appears that we've entered into judgment. So tonight we're going to talk about final judgments, final judgments, and here's what I'm going to cover tonight. Five questions. When will the final judgment happen? Or the final judgments? Number two, who will be judged? Number three, who judges who? Number four, what will be judged? And number five, what is the standard of judgment? That's what I want to go over tonight, and I've only got about 4,900 scriptures, and so we should be done right after that. Second Peter chapter 3, did you find that? Second Peter chapter 3, many people have heard about the judgments of God. And if you've been around church for any length of time, if you keep hearing about something, then you begin to think in your mind, well, it, you know, it's been a long time they've been saying that. Some people have studied history and heard, well, man, they've been talking about judgments since Jesus was here, since the early apostles, which is absolutely the truth. And so why should we be thinking about it? Why should we be concerned about it? Well, for several reasons. Number one, the Bible says we should be. But secondly, because the signs of the times are telling us that we're very close we're very close. Let me give you just an example. We're not talking about end times, but I really enjoy watching the signs of the times that are happening. You know, we've had a couple of world wars already. Isn't that right? World War I, World War II. But it's been decades now since we've had a world war. There are some people that are predicting that we're getting close to another world war because of the fragility and the pressure on the global economy. It's not just a one nation here or one nation there. It is all around the globe. Nations are fighting to posture themselves for what many are predicting is a coming collapse. Some people are predicting it even as soon as the end of this year. Other people next year, other people 2015, 2017. I've heard a number, and I'm not talking about prophets. I'm talking about economists, people that know, or at least they think they know some things about the economy. Many of them are surprised that it didn't play out like they said. But nonetheless, 
There are people that are talking about the global pressure right now. And I think most of you would know, if you've been around the rock, you would know because I talk about it, that the collapse that happened in 2008 about took the whole world economy down. It about took the whole world economy down. And we began to pump literally trillions of dollars into the system to avoid not only a collapse of our own economy here, but of course, the America still holding on to the strongest position of the economy uh, would send shockwaves around the world and collapse other economies. Some of you that have studied these things, currencies and such, and you know about how much we're printing money with quantitative easing and such, you'll know that even though we may not be yet collapsing here, there are other nations that have depended on our dollar as the world currency reserve that are struggling, and some of them are even collapsing because of their connection with us, and they don't have the same privilege of printing money like we do. So if they're built on the same dollar reserve, we can print our dollar, they can't. And so we have an unfair advantage in the world right now, and this is why many nations are out there talking and meeting about how to disconnect from the US dollar as the world currency reserve. In the day that that happens, the dollar crashes and uh, the American economy is in trouble. Now, why am I saying all of this? What does this have to do with the judgments of God? I'm talking about in preparation, where we are in history and why we would want to pay attention to this and not just presume that we're like every other believer in the past 2,000 years since the Lord was here who thought the Lord was coming, thought the judgments were coming, but they didn't come in their lifetime. Why would we be any different? Well, because of the way that the world is staged right now and because of a potential uh, collapse of economies. I don't know. I'm not making any predictions. I'm just telling you that from what I understand, which is uh, I'm not an economist, but from what I understand and what I read from economists, things could go down in the next uh, number of years. Now, and I don't mean 20. I'm talking about, you know, five, 10 years or less. We don't know for sure. I've told you, I've been very open with you, that I feel like something is coming. That's a spiritual sense. I feel like something is coming. I don't know exactly what it is, but I sense that something is coming and the people of God are being called by the Lord to prepare for those things. Now, in the event that there is a global upheaval, you know, Jesus predicted in the last days, he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Didn't he say that? And he was talking about the end times. Well, think about this. In the event that there that we do have to restructure the global system because nations all over are in such debt they can't pay their debts. And so in the event that we did have to restructure the global system and we did come up with one system, well, that correlates with what Revelation predicts about a one-world government at the end, doesn't it? And isn't it true that in the first two world wars, we did not have the technology to globally connect the world with a financial system. But today, I think everybody knows, we've got all the technology necessary to put a little chip in your hand or on your forehead that'll help you 
and uh, have all of your information, like all of your credit card, your bank information, everything that's necessary. The problem is it also has your tracking information, right? They know exactly where you are. And uh, this is something that governments are increasingly, increasingly wanting to do, is to keep track of everybody. Of course, when you bring terrorism and the concern about terrorism in place, it really makes a lot of sense to do it. The problem is that's not the only reasons behind some of this. We just like to know where everybody is, what they're doing, what they're buying, what they're not buying, and so on. And so, in the event that there was some kind of a global upheaval, like world war, like an economic collapse, we now have the technology and the infrastructure already in place to be able to facilitate things that have been prophesied in the book of Revelation about the end of the age, about the tribulation period, where we didn't 50 years ago. That's a sign of the times. We can see it, we know it, we've read articles about it, we don't even have to go in and talk about it. And so, why should we be paying attention to this? Because these judgments could be within years. These judgments could happen quickly, quickly. And so, somebody said, well, why has it been so long anyway? That's why I ask you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's look at this here in verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, Peter said, the reason why God is delaying the promise of him coming and bringing judgment is because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. You know, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, should not perish. That word perish is talking about dying a spiritual death in other words, dying physically in a spiritual state of disconnection with God, and therefore you end up going to hell. Peter said, God's long-suffering. He doesn't want that to happen to anybody. And so the reason why the delay, 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 God, Jesus could come right now if God wanted him to. But the reason why the delay is God's giving us more opportunity to make sure we're right with God and to help others be right with God. And so that's why the delay. Now, Joel chapter 3, did you find that? Let's look here in Joel chapter 3. I want to work on this first question. When will the final judgment happen? When will the final judgment happen? It says here in Joel chapter 3, the 12th verse, Let the nations be wakened. Everybody say wakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Notice. In the valley of Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat, there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. God's, God was saying, that's enough. That's enough wickedness. I've delayed, delayed, delayed. That's enough wickedness, and the judgment's going to come. Verse 14, multitudes multitudes. Notice, not multitude, multitudes. And then he says it again, multitudes. In other words, the, the amount of people that are going to be there in the Valley of Jehoshaphat are going to be multitudes and multitudes in the Valley of Decision. Notice, 
in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, sometimes people read this and they say, okay, the valley of decision, that means that, boy, we're going to have to make a decision. No, what, if you get to this valley, you're not going to make any decision. A decision will be made about you. The decision is not your decision now. You had a decision, opportunity. That's why Paul said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So now is the opportunity that we have to be right with God, to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. But once people come to the valley of Jehoshaphat for the Lord to judge them, the decision will be God's. Now, let's read this same thing, but from a different text. Let me read to you from Matthew, and you can write this down if you want. Matthew 25, you remember verse 31 is where Jesus began to talk about a judgment that he was going to perform. And it says in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Now notice, all the nations... You remember we read over here in Joel that the Lord was going to judge the nations. Jesus said all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let me skip down to verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is the judgment of the nations. That's the judgment. And he's going to, in essence, say, you group, you're, you're on the right hand, you go to heaven. Because of the way that you lived your life. And you, over here on the left, no, you're going to go into everlasting fire because the way that you lived your life. Now, notice Jesus said he's the one doing this judging. He's the one doing this judging. But I want you to notice again in verse 31. Here's the question we're answering. When will the final judgment happen? Notice again, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, the Son of Man came once already, but not in his glory. He came as a baby, as a human being. But the second time he comes, he's going to come as the resurrected Lord in full power and authority, not as a humble servant. He's going to come as the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And the Bible says, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, then he's going to sit and judge the nations. Now, listen to what Paul said in Acts 1730. Paul said, while he was teaching, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. First Corinthians chapter four, listen to verse five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, until the Lord comes, until the Lord comes. When will these judgments happen? When the Lord comes. Until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Listen to 2 Timothy 
Paul said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, when? At his appearing and his kingdom. At his appearing. When is this going to come? When Jesus comes back. The second time. Let me give you one more. Second Peter chapter 3, the 10th verse. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Let me tell you, when the Lord comes back and judgment comes, you need to know it's not going to be just a verbal judgment. It is going to adversely affect this whole planet. The book of Revelation talks about mountains being moved out of place and thrown into the sea, islands being moved out of their place. There is going to be a major upheaval that is going to freak the world out. That's here. But notice Peter says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. What does that mean? That means that you can't just live your life like nothing's going to change. As if maybe there's going to be a, you know, a two-minute warning saying, hey, the Lord's coming back in two minutes. Quickly repent. It won't happen like that. It won't happen like that. Somebody said, well, can it if we pray? <laughs> well, I don't believe so. And the reason why is because Peter said he's going to come as a thief in the night. And Jesus himself in Revelation 16, 15 said, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And then in Matthew 24, the 42nd verse, Jesus said, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, be ready, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so, all through the Bible, I've given you a few verses, all through the Bible, God tells us as believers, you don't be like the world, you make sure you're ready. Live every day as if this could be the day. Because he's not going to announce his coming prior to. He's already announced his coming. And those who believe and watch will be ready. Paul also said we're supposed to love his appearing. A lot of people dread his appearing. You're supposed to be on the right side of this thing. Like your long lost relative. Hey, I'm glad you're back. This is supposed to be a good thing. I remember when I was a kid and I'd sass my mom or something, and she'd say, wait till your father gets home. I dreaded my dad getting home. Because when he got home, I knew it was going to be painful. But you know, when I was doing well, and I didn't sass her, and I was on the good side, on my mom's good side, well, I could look forward to his coming. Isn't that right? See, and so we need to get on the good side right now. And make sure, because... When he comes, he's going to come unannounced. We're supposed to be spiritually attuned and be ready for his coming. So when are these judgments going to happen? They're going to happen when Jesus comes. And, and uh, how soon could that be? Very soon. Very soon. Very soon. Things are lining up with all biblical prophecy. I don't know of anything that has to take place before 
the tribulation period begins. I know of some prophecies that have to take place by the time we get to the middle of it, because the Bible says the Antichrist is supposed to stand in the holy place in the middle of the tribulation and break the seven-year covenant that he made for peace. So, well, there needs to be a holy place there. But I don't know of anything that needs to take place before the tribulation period starts. I think it's time to be ready, don't you? It's time to be ready. Now, let's go to the second point. Who will be judged? Who will be judged? Well, first of all, let's talk about believers. Believers. Let's talk about what we call the judgment, what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 5, this is also in Romans 14. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the ninth verse, Paul said, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. We make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all, the reason why we want to be well-pleasing is, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so he's talking, of course, to believers here, and he says we must all appear. Well, we know from other texts of the scripture that it's not only believers that will appear before Jesus, but Jesus will judge all. In fact, he, we just saw him say it in Matthew 25. He's going to judge all the nations. And so here it says to believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now in 1 Corinthians 3, the 10th verse, Paul says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, if you're a believer, and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, all of our works are going to be taken and they're going to be tested by fire. So in other words, everything you spent your time doing, watching TV, surfing on the internet, playing sports, twiddling your thumbs, everything, getting in arguments, fights, fixing the house, everything, doing the ministry at your church, everything. Everything you do, everything is going to be judged as to whether or not that was worthy of reward or it just gets burned up as just a waste of time. I believe many works are a waste of time and others are actually contrary to wholesome living and to godliness. But notice they're going to be tested by fire and anything that remains that is proven through fire, well, you'll get a reward for that. You'll get a reward for that. <laughs> Can you imagine 
what that's going to be like. And they pile, some guys works up there, you know, big old pile. And then some angel comes with a match. You ready, God? Yeah, go ahead. Flick like this. Well, some people that have really, you know, been living their life for the Lord, you may just hear a little, you know, you know, just little flames here and there, just burning some edges off and such. And all of it turns into something rewardable. And God says, well done, look at that, well done. But other people, you know, they may put a big old pile up there and the angel gets up there with the match and looks back and says, God, are we ready? And he says, yeah, go ahead. And the angel starts to strike the match and he looks at the pile and he backs up. He <laughs> tells everybody in heaven, you guys want, might want to back up on this, you know. <laughs> Strikes the match, throws it and runs, you know, takes off, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, an inferno happens because it's all flammable, all burnable because that person spent their life just doing a bunch of stuff, just like everybody, as if they weren't even a believer. But notice it says, their works will be judged by fire. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, by the skin of your teeth, by the hair of your chinny chin chin. You made it because you put faith in Jesus Christ, but you realize at that point the opportunity that I had to really serve him, to really help people, to really be a part of what God was doing on the earth. I squandered my time, and therefore I lost out on the reward, and I don't think the reward is as big of a deal as pleasing the Lord. I think that's going to be the bigger deal. But of course, when you please the Lord, he wants to reward us for our works. So we're answering the question now, who will be judged? Now, Revelation chapter 20, let's look there. Revelation chapter 20. And the fourth verse says, notice, and I saw thrones, plural, thrones. Everyone say thrones. thrones. And they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So notice it talks about thrones, plural. And it talks about all these people that are part of the first resurrection. You remember the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive with him shall be caught up to meet him in the air. And so this says that these people that are part of the first resurrection are going to reign with Jesus for a thousand years. Now, who will be judged? That's believers. Let me go to a second category now. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Did you know they'll be judged? In Revelation 19, the 20th verse, the Bible says, 
then the beast was captured. That's the Antichrist. And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Now, by the way, let me just clarify something because I talked earlier about the technology of a chip in your hand or your forehead. I don't know whether the technology that we're seeing available where people's information could be scanned and you wouldn't need a credit card, you don't need cash, you don't need anything anymore. We know that's possible now. I don't know that the microchips would be the mark of the beast. I don't know that for sure. I couldn't say that. You know, in the process of time, we'll all know. But I don't know. It could be an actual mark of this Antichrist person. We don't know. But it could be that technology that's inserted in there. I've heard different theories on it and such. We may teach a little bit about that in detail. But I just want to let you know that there is a possibility that you could have the technology and not have taken the mark of the beast. But I can tell you right now that unless I knew, if I ended up in a position where that was being asked of everybody, man, I don't want anything till I know because the Bible is very clear about the fact that whoever takes the mark of the beast is lost. And we don't want that, do we? We don't want that. See, this is why we need to talk about these things because we need to understand that these things are serious. And if we know about them, then we'll be wary. Otherwise, we just, you know, blindly go about like the rest of the world, the crowd of the world, and just follow what everybody tells us because we're hungry and they said this is how we can get some food. See, if everything goes down, somebody say, why would everybody buy into that? Because they're starving? Because they're desperate? So, Notice this. We're right in the middle of uh, verse 20. Whoever received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two, talking about the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, in the 20th chapter... The 10th verse, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Day and night forever. Yeah, thank God. Somebody said praise the Lord over there. Yeah, that's the good news. The bad news is he doesn't get thrown in there until after the millennial reign of Christ, after the thousand years where Jesus reigns on the earth. He gets put in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, then he's released for a short time, and then he gets judged and thrown in here. But will he be judged? Yes. Will it be after the second coming of Jesus? Yes. And he gets thrown in there a thousand years after Jesus shows up. Now let's talk about the wicked dead, the wicked people of the world, and sometimes we call them the wicked dead. In the same chapter, Revelation 20, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead. Everybody say, the dead. dead. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now, you remember we read back up in 
let's see. Back up in verses four through six, we read that if you're part of the first resurrection, then the second death has no power over you. Isn't that right? The first resurrection, all right? Now, if you're part of the first resurrection, then you're not dead here. Everybody understand that? Okay, so now we're looking at this great white throne judgment, verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened. So notice, books and a book, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so God has books and a book. The book, it says very clearly, is the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, when that judgment comes, then you're on your way to heaven. If your name is not in there, then you're not going to heaven. Your name has to be in there. But notice there are also books. In these books are detailed records of all of our works here on earth. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, when I get there, I'm just going to say to the big man, no, 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 there's no record of you saying anything. <laughs> there's nothing in the Bible that says you're going to be able to speak. Books are going to be open. And you could say, hey, I was a pretty good person. Oh, yeah. Let's read these books. All of the works that you did in your life are written in these books. So you could say anything or think you're going to say anything you want to. I mean, to tell you, the evidence is all written down. Books. Books will be written. Books will be brought forth. They're already being written. All of our works being captured, recorded. Why? God's a just God. See, of course, God has a perfect memory, but he also wants us to know that he's a righteous judge. And so it's all captured. So there will be no explaining. There will be no denying. Everything written in those books is, is true. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. Why is that? Because we just read up here in verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, there's nothing on this earth. There's no pleasure. There's no satisfaction. There's no pursuit or goal that is worth risking going to the lake of fire forever and ever. There's no second chance when you go there. There's no parole. You don't get out early. Oh, it's serious business. Serious business. 
Fallen angels. Did you know fallen angels? Here, or as the, the text of Scripture says, the angels who sinned. Second Peter chapter 2, the fourth verse, they're also judged. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and he goes on to say, then wicked people on earth won't be spared either. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for what? Is it on the screen? Say it out loud. Judgment. So will these angels who sin be judged? Okay. Well, listen to Jude verses six and seven. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Well, what does that mean? But left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Well, that sounds like what Peter was talking about. But let's see what he's referring to here. Verse seven, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So notice in Jude, Jude, Jude brings out that these angels who sin that Peter's referring to, it said these angels did not keep their proper domain, but like Sodom and Gomorrah, they went after strange flesh. Strange flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know Sodom and Gomorrah, they were judged for homosexuality. They were judged by God because men were not going after women. Men were going after men. Women were going after women. And because of this, they were judged. Well, this here says that these angels didn't keep their proper domain and they went after strange flesh. Well, very interesting in the sixth chapter of Genesis. We won't take time to turn there. But you remember the Bible says the sons of God came to the daughters of men. And they bore children who ended up being recognized as giants. They were mighty men in the land. Well, somebody said, I, I didn't even know angels could do that. Well, we didn't either. <laughs> Until the Bible told us that. And then... You know, even with that, I, I don't think I would have believed that that's what that meant. Except for two reasons. Number one, the other explanations about that, the, o the only one that had any reasonability to it, was that the sons of God coming to the daughters of men were talking, uh, some said, about the line of Seth. And you remember Cain, Abel. Cain killed Abel. And then God gave Adam and Eve a replacement for Abel. His name was Seth. And through Seth, the line of Jesus came. Well, some people said, well, Seth, you know, that was a more righteous line. And so that's why the Bible would refer to the line of Seth as the sons of God. But when you really look at it, it really doesn't hold a lot of water. Plus, how did these mighty men come? How did the, the descendants of Seth, who was the son of Adam, just like Cain was, how, did, how would his children be huge giant-like guys, mighty men, the Nephilim on the earth, where we would also get Goliath and the descendants of Anak, and you've, studied, you've seen a, those references and such. 
Well, how would just being more righteous cause your children to be huge and large? See? Plus, this scripture right here, where Jude says, these angels didn't keep their proper domain. But they, like Sodom and Gomorrah, went after strange flesh. In other words, flesh that they weren't intended to go after. Sodom and Gomorrah did that, and these angels did it too. And so notice again in verse 6, it says, he has reserved in everlasting chains. And so, there are angels that are going to be judged. We also know that in the 12th chapter of Revelation, that the dragon, who's the serpent of old, the devil and Satan, the Bible says, he drew a third of the stars of heaven with his tail, you remember, and cast them down to the earth. In other words, a third of the angels apparently followed the devil when he rebelled against God, and they too were cast out. And so there is going to be judgment for the angels. Now, let's get to the third point. Who judges who? Who judges who? We talked about thrones and judgments. So let's go over just a few verses. First of all, once again in Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now let me read from Revelation 4, verse 4. John was seeing the throne for the first time in his vision, in the Revelation, and he said, Around the throne were 24 thrones. Notice, around the throne were 24 other thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, when you get to chapter 5, here's what you'll find out about those 24 elders. They begin to sing to the Lord, and in their song that they sing, they say, for you have redeemed us. For you have redeemed us. When I read that some years ago, I thought, oh man, these are human beings that were on the earth just like we are, and they're sitting on those thrones. And they would, you know, when the creatures would say, holy, 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 they'd come off those thrones, take their crowns off, and cast them at the feet of the Lord. Well, you would too. If you were in their shoes and having their perspective, and you could realize that you were about that close from eternal damnation had it not been for that man seated at the right hand of the Father right over there that paid that price for you. you slip off of your throne and cast your crown down too. See, when we get there, this is all going to become clear to us. And most of us will probably fall on our knees and weep at how close we came to getting caught up in this world and thinking that all these things that we're going after are so important. May no one here miss it. May no one's family miss it. If we don't take things seriously and talk to our families about these things, they won't have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, needs to be taught. You don't just, you're not just born with the fear of the Lord. It has to be taught. You have to look at these things and understand the implications and the consequences, which are devastating. And then when you understand and you believe, then you begin to live your life like it's true. That's called the fear of the Lord. 
And really, let me tell you what the fear of the Lord is. It's just reality. We're not talking about being afraid of God. We're talking about being afraid of living as if what God said is not going to happen. Living with a reverence that he's God. And if he said these things are going to happen, they are going to happen. And therefore, I've got to live as if that's true. See, I reverence what he sees and understands much higher than what I see and understand. That's the fear of the Lord. And I live that way. And so now we talked about 24 thrones and 24 elders. 24 thrones and 24 elders. Now, let's talk about three categories. First of all, the ultimate judge we know is God. And let me just go further, Jesus. Let me show you why. In John 5, 22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. There are many verses on this, but let me give you just one more. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, who? At his appearing and his kingdom. Well, his appearing, that's Jesus. Because when we're talking about the second coming, his appearing, we're not talking about the second coming of the Father or even the first coming of the Father. We're talking about the second coming of him, Jesus. So he said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So who's going to judge the living and the dead? Jesus is. Jesus is. And there are many verses that go along with that. Now, let me mention something about the 12 apostles. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 27, in response to Peter, in fact, Peter said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on how many thrones? Twelve. Well, we got half of them figured out, don't we? Twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Some have speculated, well, maybe the apostles sit on twelve and maybe the heads of those tribes sit on the other twelve. Well, maybe so, but these twelve are going to judge those twelve tribes. And these twelve, you know, these apostles are indeed uh, Jews. So they're part of the twelve tribes. I don't know that each one of them are from a different tribe. I don't think the Bible has any reference to that. But it says they're going to judge, sit on twelve thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So I have a pretty good guess that 12 out of those 24 seats are 12 people that follow Jesus. Now, some of you may be thinking, what about Judas? What about Judas? Well, I don't know. I, what I do know is Jesus said about Judas, it would have better, been better for him if he had not been born. So that gives me an indication that Judas may not have made it. We have to at least admit, based on Jesus' comment, that it would have been better for him had he not even been born than to betray the Son of Man. So we have to admit that based on what Jesus said, that unlike Peter, who denied the Lord three times and then repented, that we have to acknowledge that there's a strong probability that Judas did not and will not make it. And so if not, of course, he's not going to be one of these 12 sitting on the throne. 
And if not, there'll be somebody that's chosen. Somebody said, well, is it Matthias? Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know soon. <laughs> and Jesus is coming back soon. Now, that's the 12 apostles. Let's talk about the saints. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? Well, you know, if you were raised in some churches, the saints are dead people who did a lot of good works. And then finally, they reached the status of being considered saints. But according to the Bible, the saints are the believers. Everyone who is born again as is a part of the body of Christ. They're called the saints. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Well, according to what Paul said, we're going to judge angels. Somebody say, well, is it those angels that sin? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's all he said. And there's no other text in Scripture that says we're going to judge any kind of angels. But, you know, I believe we will. And again, I'll let you know. <laughs> Come see me in a little while, as soon as we get there, and I'll let you know how this works out. Now, number four, what will be judged? We talked about who will be judged. We talked about who will be doing the judging. But who will be judged? Or excuse me, what will be judged? First of all, our behavior, our works. We saw that in uh, the two Corinthians passages. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 again, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. In other words, while you're here in the flesh, before you die, you're going to receive rewards off of that. So you're going to be judged according to your works. 1 Corinthians 3 Notice again in the 13th verse, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's what? Is it on the screen? Not on the screen? Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13, each one's work will be tested by fire. Is it up there yet? Yes. All right. Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. So will our works be judged? All the things we do, they certainly will. All right, and then of course, again, Revelation 20. Verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their what? Works. Works. So one thing that's going to be judged is our works, what we do. But that's not all that's going to be judged. Secondly, our motives. You can do the right thing, but have the wrong motive. Isn't that right? You know, you've seen some guy, see some gal that he thinks is really attractive. And... She dropped her purse or something, and he's diving over there to get it. Well, man, there may be somebody else over here on crutches. 
This old guy dropped his wallet or everything. This guy glances over there. I ain't helping him. Just keeps on walking. But he dove for the girl. Isn't that right? He dove for the girl. Well, was that a good work? No, that's called the lust of the flesh. Because <laughs> his heart wasn't really to help. His heart is, hey, I like what I see. And so I'm going to do something to get a, a possible benefit. That's a wrong motive. See, so you can have the right works, but have the wrong heart about it. Isn't that right? You know, sometimes people even do things in the ministry, but they do things in the ministry to be seen. Not because they really want to serve the purposes of the Lord. See, we've got to check our motives. We've got to check our motives. Now listen to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. So things that you did in secret, nobody knows about, and even the counsels and the motives of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God, of course, if there is any. And you remember, uh, I don't have it in my notes, but Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents, the motives of the heart. And the 13th verse goes on to say, and neither is there any creature that is hidden in his sight, for all things are naked and open to the eyes to whom we must give account. And so God sees everything. He sees what we're thinking. We can fool people, but we can't fool the Lord. And when we're doing works that are impressive to people, or because we're looking for the praise of men, as Jesus put it. Or because we've got something we're after and we think doing this will reap a benefit that I want. Then that's disqualified as a good work. In fact, it could be adverse because it becomes deception. Living a false life. And so what do we need to do? We need to judge ourselves. And we need to be honest with ourselves. You need to talk to yourself and say, you know, that's wrong. Jerry, that's wrong. That's wrong. You said that, but that's not really what you meant. That's not really what you meant. One time when we had just opened the church, we had talked to everybody about really loving everybody and greeting everybody warmly when they came. And I remember somebody was standing at the door greeting and somebody walked in, they said, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Shook their hand and everything. And as soon as that person walked away, he's a jerk. God hears all of that, doesn't he? And God even hears it if you didn't say it, if you said it in your heart. See? Judgment will not just be based on our behavior, but it's going to be based on our hearts. That's why coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, help me get my heart in order. Because I'm doing, I've learned behavior modification on the outside. I've learned to please people, but Lord, I want to please you, and that can only happen inside. I remember telling the Lord often, Lord, I want to be so pure in my mind and my heart that if you and my wife could watch my thoughts while any person attractive of the opposite sex or whatever is around, even if somebody was hitting on me, that it wouldn't just be me acting appropriately, but Lord, that the thoughts of my heart 
and of my mind would be that, that it would increase the trust in my wife. Now, of course, she can't see that. She can't see that. But I told the Lord, Lord, I want to be so pure like that before you, that if my wife could see, it would increase her trust of me to be able to see what was going on. See, a lot of people, they just think, well, as long as I don't act on it, I can go ahead and think and have anything inside that I want to. Well, no, that's not the way God is. Jesus said, be holy, even as my Father in heaven is holy. We're supposed to get all that cleaned up and be pure. You know, since when do we think we're really advancing when we live life to get away with stuff? Well, as long as my wife doesn't know, as long as my husband doesn't know. Well, what kind, of, what kind of marriage is that? Why would you want to be a part of a marriage that cheats? What kind of marriage? Is that what you signed up for? That's not why I got married. That's not why I got married. Somebody said, well, we already messed up. Well, forgive. But get it right. Clean it up. You know, Jesus restores marriages. Amen. Amen. Who wants to live in a marriage that's deceptive? Well, she doesn't know. I'll bet she does. She may not be able to pin you down. She may not, but down inside, she can tell something's off. See, we miss out on the good life, trying to compromise and live like the world. Like if you don't get caught, it must not be wrong. That's not true. That's not true. How many of you can just feel in the room that the person next to you is, is getting wiggly, huh? Can you feel that? <laughs> I mean... All right, so we got works. We got motives. Here's the third one that's going to be judged. Words. Words. You remember Jesus said in the 12th chapter of Matthew, the 36th verse, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. By your words, by your words, by your words. Boy, every idle word. Oh, this is not my favorite scripture in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I talk every day. Oh, and Proverbs says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. In other words, if you talk a lot, you sin a lot. I always trip out, you know, after you know these things and you read the Bible and everything and you see this, I always trip out when I hear people say, well, you know me, I just speak my mind. I just talk all the time. I can't help. My mind just thinks you sin all the time because the Bible says that, you know, in the multitude of words, sin's there. And Proverbs says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. So when somebody said, well, you know me, I speak my mind. What I hear is somebody saying, you know me, I'm a fool. <laughs> somebody say, you're not supposed to call your brother a fool. I didn't. That was a sister. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> no. no, I wasn't calling anybody a fool. I'm just telling you, when you know the Bible and you hear people talk, you see how it applies. And you just want to be careful. So, Lord, help us. In fact, everybody put your hand over your mouth and say, Lord, put a watch over my mouth. Help me not to speak what I should not speak. In Jesus' name. Number five, what is the standard of judgment? 
What is the standard of judgment? And this is the last question we're going to answer tonight. In the 12th chapter of John, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You know, I, I really do hear people saying, well, you know what I'm going to say to God? Pfft. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> they're, they're, this is not negotiation. You know, we really don't understand the awesomeness of God when we think like that, when we call him the big man upstairs and such. And I know that some people say those things with no intention of disrespect, but I think we ought to curb that. And if we could get a, a, an internal faith picture in our heart from the word of God, we would realize, oh my goodness, this is not a peer. He is so high above us. I don't mean to say that because, you know, I'm, I'm up here scoring points. I'm telling you, for example, in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died. is what Isaiah said. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. And he said, the first thing I did was hit the deck. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man that speaks wrong things. I'm a man that speaks perverse things. I don't talk right. I say things I shouldn't say. And I live among a people that do that. I've been influenced to talk my mind and to speak these things. And when he got into the presence of the Lord, he realized the stark contrast between a pure and holy, awesome God who speaks truth and love constantly and what he was doing. And it freaked him out. For us to just think we're going to walk in like we're walking in to even somebody like the president of the United States or some prime minister somewhere or even a king on the earth. No, this is in a totally different category. He is the awesome one. And when we get there, we're going to realize, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And all those years, he gave me a chance to be right. And I've got grace, and I've got the blood of Jesus, and i got the word of God, and I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just let it all sit there dormantly and lived as if I was an unbeliever, so to speak. Jesus said, listen. The word that I have spoken will judge him. In other words, the standard is the word of God. You know what's awesome? We get to live our life, and it's an open book test. We have the Bible. We have the Bible. The word of God is the standard. See, a lot of people say, well, what I believe, well, you know the way I see it, you know, all, all of that is ridiculous. The way you believe, well, who cares about what you believe? You know, can you imagine walking into a court somewhere? 
And the judge is hearing all the evidence and hearing you talking everything. And the judge says, you know, uh, you're clearly wrong. You committed a crime. That's against the law. And you step up and say, you know what I believe? See, what I believe is that that's not really wrong. It's not, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. You're not the judge. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the word that I have spoken to you, that's going to be the judgment, period. You know what's awesome about that? No surprises. He said, I'm going to tell you exactly what's on the final exam. You're going to be judged according to the word of God. Boy, if that's not a great advertisement for OSL, I don't know what is. <laughs> Isn't that true? Because discipleship fills you with God's word so that you know and have interest in what God is saying. Let's close with this scripture in Ezekiel 18. In Ezekiel 18, the 25th chapter, excuse me, the 25th verse. God says, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. You heard anybody talk like that? Yes. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. You know, it's not fair that I'm going to be judged according to the Bible. Why? Because that's, that's not what I like. That's not what I enjoy. That's not my preference. It's interesting how people want to take loose logic and try to apply it to their life as if God is going to buy that on the day of judgment. Well, you know, the Lord, the God of love, he wants me to be happy. And so he knows this makes me happy. This sin or this lifestyle, this choice of mine, he knows it makes me happy. He's a God of love. God wants us to be happy. Well, see, all of that is true. He does want us to be happy, doesn't he? Is God a God of love? Sure he is. So see, people just take that and say, look, all these Christians that are saying, you know, God's against this or God's against that. Look, God's a God of love. They just have a different interpretation of the Bible. Yeah, it's called the accurate one. It's called reading it. You notice people aren't quoting the Bible that believe that. They're quoting logic like Satan did in the Garden of Eden when he said, listen, did God really say, well, look, hey, listen, you're not going to die because God knows, see? And he starts talking about what God knows instead of what God said. Jesus didn't say we're going to be judged based on what God knows. He said, we're going to be judged based on what he said. The word which I've spoken, that's going to judge you. The great thing is we've got it. We've got it. See, there are folks that are going to say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Look back again, verse 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, 
Is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord, our, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Well, he's preaching the gospel, isn't he? For why should you die? That's a good question. Why would you die? Why would you do that? Oh, house of Israel, verse 32. Listen to what God said. For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Now, see, what the Lord's saying is, look, I'm telling you how this judgment's going to go. Don't die. I don't have any pleasure in people dying. I want people to live. I want people to go to heaven. I want people to be blessed. I want people to have eternal life. Why, why would you pursue transgressions and even take a chance and, and try to come up with this idea? Well, I don't think God's fair. I don't think it's fair that we have to go according to the Bible. I mean, it's an old book. <laughs> well, aren't you glad? Because if it was a new book that somebody wrote, you wouldn't pay any attention to it. This thing has been the bestseller for all these years. So we're talking about the final judgments of God. And we can see very clearly that the Lord is coming. I believe he's coming soon. And we can see when he comes, judgment is going to happen on various levels, various groups of people in various ways. But all of the judgments will happen by the word of God. All of them. You know what's so wonderful? Is Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us. And so if, you, if you'll just take control of your heart and say, God, I want to live right before you. You know what's neat is, in your heart is a spirit and a soul. Your soul, your mind, your emotions and such may be struggling. But your born again spirit can speak up and say, hey, hey, this guy over here next to me, oh, all the thoughts he thinks, motives in his heart, oh, that's bad, bad. But Lord, I'm over here, I want to do right. Anybody ever feel like you got two people inside of you? One wants to do right and one wants to do wrong? You remember the little devil and the angel that they did in the cartoons and such, right? Look, you from your spirit, you need to step up and say, Lord, I want to do right before you. And I'm having problems with my mind. I'm having problems with this other side over here. But Lord, I pray that you strengthen me. Don't strengthen him. Strengthen me to take control of this situation and live right. And Lord, deliver me as a whole person from this bondage and this sin. Give me better friends. Help me not to watch what I've been watching. Look at what I've been looking at because it draws me back into that sin and bondage. Lord, help me to be right because I want to be ready when you come back. Not only that, Lord, I want you to use me right here. I want you to do great things in my life right here by your spirit. You know what he'll do? He'll forgive you. He'll strengthen you. He'll start you out fresh. You know how come I know? Because he did it with me. I'm telling you, I was bound in sin as a believer. As a believer, I was bound in sin. I could not get free. But I started calling out to the Lord and I started learning what I taught in level one. 
that I was the righteousness of God in Christ, even though I was still struggling with sin, because I was born again, I was the righteousness of God in Christ. <laughs> when I learned that and I realized, man, there's another joker over here. He's the problem. <laughs> now, I knew I was still responsible, but boy, did it help to know that's not me. I'm a spirit. I'm born again. I want to live right with God. And now I can connect with God, even though he and my body are joining together to sin. And I can connect with God and say, Lord, let's team up. Let's, let's uh, team up on these guys and get them under control. And we did. And we did. Praise God. And that's what the Lord's going to do with you. Praise the Lord. Next week, I want to talk to you about the judgments before the final judgments. In other words, judgments that are happening in our lives now. Judgments that are happening in the earth now. And then we're going to get into whether or not America has already entered the early stages of judgment. In fact, next week I want to go over the stages of judgment. The stages of judgment. And I want you to see very clearly from the Bible how God doesn't judge all at one time. How God judges in stages. Why? To give us an opportunity to repent. He really doesn't want to drop the big hammer. So he drops little hammers. I'd rather a little hammer hit my toe than a big hammer clobber me upside the head, wouldn't you? See, and the Lord's just trying to get our attention to say, hey, why won't you listen? Why won't you listen? And by the way, before even the little hammer hits our toe, he speaks to us and talks to us and sends people to talk to us before anything, any judgment happens. But if we just get to where we won't receive and won't listen, well then, you know, he needs to give us a little bit of a wake up call. But I wanna go over that next week and bring your Bible next week. And we're gonna go over it. I want you to write down the various stages of judgment. And you're gonna see that from one stage to the next, it increases significantly because God's not playing games with letting you and me go to hell. He does not want us to go there. And how many of you say, I agree with God? <laughs>